Thank you guys for coming. Welcome back. This is part 10 of extremist literature, pure worship of Jehovah. So, in the last one, somehow I overlooked this picture. I don't know how that happened. It, it, it's a picture of, this is on page 60, it's a picture of a soldier holding a Bible and apparently praying over some others. And there are like five of them total, four of them sitting down, the fifth is standing up praying. And the the four that are sitting are kind of looking forlorn. You got you know got their head in their hands, things like that. I'm not really sure what this is about. I guess the one in the middle is uh, supposed to be like the pastor, and the others appear to be dealing with a death of some sort. Not really clear on that, but anyway, yeah, I, I completely missed this picture. I don't know how that happened. So let's take a look at the next chapter, which is chapter six. And it's titled, The End is Now Upon You. The focus is Jehovah's Prophetic Judgments Against Jerusalem. How fulfilled, it says. Weird. Weird phrasing. Okay, so this is paragraph one. The news about the prophet Ezekiel's strange behavior spreads rapidly among the exiled Jews living in the land of Babylon. For a week he had been sitting dazed and speechless among the exiles, but then he suddenly got up and shut himself in his house. Now with his perplexed neighbors looking on, the prophet reappears, picks up a brick, puts it in front of him, and etches it with a drawing. Then, without uttering a word, Ezekiel begins to build a miniature wall. Okay, that's super confusing. I feel like I'm missing context that I need. But this is like the beginning of the, um, the, the chapter, so we shouldn't be missing any context. I'm guessing if this doesn't make sense for us right now, it's going to in a second. So let's just continue on and see what it says. Paragraph 2. The spectators, no doubt growing in number, must have wondered, what does all this mean? Only later would those Jewish exiles fully grasp that the prophet Ezekiel's puzzling behavior foretold the coming of a dreadful event that would express Jehovah God's righteous indignation. What was that event? How did it affect the ancient nation of Israel? What significance does it have for for pure worshipers today? Okay, yeah, I'm still kind of missing the context or something here. The news about Prophet Ezekiel's strange behavior spreads rapidly among the exiled Jews living in the land of Babylon. I don't know. Kind of kind of weird, but I'm sure we'll we'll start to understand as time goes on. Okay. This is the first subheading, I guess you could say. Take a brick, take wheat, take a sharp sword is the name of it. So here's paragraph three. In about 613 BCE, Jehovah instructed Ezekiel to demonstrate by signs three aspects of God's coming judgment against Jerusalem. They were the siege of the city, siege in italics, the suffering of its inhabitants, suffering in italics, and then the destruction in italics of the city and its people. Let us consider these three aspects in more detail. Okay, so the three aspects that they are uh, pointing out here are the siege uh, of the city, the suffering of its inhabitants, and the destruction of the city. So apparently those are the signs that God is uh, going to... I I guess the, the signs of God's coming judgment, that's what they are. Okay, so paragraph four starts out 
with the siege of Jerusalem in bold. And then five is the suffering of Jerusalem's inhabitants. Six is the destruction of Jerusalem and its people. So we're breaking it, uh, we're breaking it down one by one. So let's start out with paragraph four, the siege of Jerusalem. Jehovah told Ezekiel, take a brick and put it in front of you. Lay siege to it. The brick represented the city of Jerusalem, while Ezekiel himself portrayed the Babylonian army used, uh, as used by Jehovah. Ezekiel was also instructed to build a miniature wall, a siege rampart, and to make battering rams. Okay, I feel like they're about to insert information here that wasn't in the Bible to begin with. So we better just read this. It says, read Ezekiel 4, 1 through 3. Let's take a quick look at it. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to, uh, build a ramp up to it. Set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Very strange. This is, like, bizarre. This is really bizarre. Um, I know what the word siege means, but I they're using it in a way that is unfamiliar to me. So let me just look that up. It says, A military operation which enemy forces surround a town or building, cutting off essential supplies, with the aim of compelling the surrender of those inside. Yeah, that's that's what I understood it to be, is where they they don't allow supplies in or out of the city economically strangling this city, uh, starving the inhabitants to death until the leaders agree to the demands of the opponents. That's what a siege is. So with that in mind, let's just read this, this last sentence again here. It says, he was then to place these around the brick. Okay. The brick represented the city of Jerusalem while Ezekiel himself portrayed the Babylonian army as used by Jehovah. Ezekiel was also instructed to build a miniature wall, a siege rampart, and to make battering rams. So this guy was instructed to build these battering rams and siege ramparts and all this stuff. He was then to place these around the brick. So he's told to build these things and place them around this brick. They represented the instruments of war that Jerusalem's enemies would use when surrounding the city and attacking it. To indicate the iron-like strength of the enemy soldiers, Ezekiel was to put an iron griddle, or plate, between himself and the city. This is like going way over the top with an illustration. Like, way over the top. The guy takes a literal brick, sets it on the ground, and draws a picture on it, or etches a picture in it or whatever, and then builds real, physical, literal battering rams and siege ramparts and things and places them around this brick. You, they can't be serious. I mean, they can't... I feel, I feel like I'm taking this literally when it's meant to be taken figuratively. Okay, let's continue reading. To indicate the iron-like strength of the enemy soldiers, Ezekiel was to put an iron griddle or plate between himself and the city. He then set his face against the city... Those confrontational actions served as a sign to the house of Israel that the unthinkable was about to happen. Jehovah would use an, uh, an enemy army to lay siege to Jerusalem, the chief city of God's people, 
the location of God's temple. Hmm, okay. So that was paragraph four. Here's five. The suffering of Jerusalem's inhabitants. So remember, this is number two in the list of signs of God's coming judgment. Jehovah ordered Ezekiel, take wheat, barley, bro- uh, broad beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, a type of wheat, and make them into bread, and weigh out and eat 20 shekels of food per day. Jehovah then explained, I'm cutting off the food supply. Okay, that's the nature of a siege, cutting off the food supply. In this scene, Ezekiel no longer represented the Babylonian army. Rather, he took on the role of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The prophet's actions foretold that the coming siege would cause the food supplies in the city to dwindle. At the time, bread would be made from an odd mixture of ingredients, which indicated that people would have to eat whatever they found. How severe would starvation become? As if directly addressing the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Ezekiel said, Fathers among you will eat their sons, and sons will eat their fathers. In the end, many would suffer because of the deadly arrows of famine, and the people would waste away. Well, which is it? Would fathers eat sons or sons eat fathers? This isn't making any sense. Uh, So that was paragraph five. So here's paragraph six. This is the third sign, apparently. The destruction of Jerusalem and its people. In this part of the prophetic enactment, Ezekiel acted out two roles at the same time. First, Ezekiel acted out what Jehovah would do. Jehovah told him, take a sharp sword for yourself to use as a barber's razor. Oh yeah, it says, read Ezekiel 5, 1 and 2. Let's just give it a read. Now, son of man, take a sharp sword and use it as a barber's razor to shave your head and your beard. Then take a set of scales and divide up the hair. When the days of your siege come to an end, burn a third of the hair inside the city. Take a third and strike it with the sword all around the city, and scatter a third to the wind, for I will pursue them with drawn sword. Okay. So I'm, I'm not really sure if this is a literal, um, like, if this is actually what the Bible says, or if this was inserted by Jehovah's Witnesses. I, it's, I'm finding it really difficult to separate what the Bible is actually saying from what Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of reading from it or, or prophesying about it, quote-unquote. It's really hard to tell, like, which is which in this paragraph. They're kind of melding the two together. Okay, uh, so this is paragraph six. It says, Take a sharp sword for yourself to use as a barber's razor. Then it says, Read Ezekiel 5, 1 and 2. Then it says, Ezekiel's hand that wielded the sword portrayed the hand of Jehovah, his judgment, as expressed through Babylon's army. Second, Ezekiel acted out what the Jews would go through. Jehovah said to him, Shave your head and your beard. The shaving of Ezekiel's head. Now this is them assuming things. This is them reading reading into the text. This is them putting their ideas and opinions onto what the Bible says, not what the Bible outright tells us about the situation. The shaving of Ezekiel's head represented how the Jews would be attacked and wiped out. Furthermore, the command to take scales to weigh and divide the hair into portions implied, notice the word implied there, implied that Jehovah's judgment against Jerusalem would be carried out, not haphazardly, but deliberately and thoroughly. Now, I haven't read all of Ezekiel 5, but I'd be willing to bet that they are just, you know, putting these ideas in there 
with absolutely no backing, nothing to back them up. And the reason they're comfortable doing that is because they believe themselves to be God's mouthpiece on earth. They believe themselves to be prophets, quote unquote. I don't think they actually call themselves prophets, but they believe themselves to be prophets. They believe that God speaks to us through them. So any crazy idea that they come out with is backed up by God. They don't need evidence because they're God's mouthpiece. They're getting this information from Jehovah. Okay, so that was paragraph six. That was the third sign of God's coming judgment, the destruction of Jerusalem and his people. Okay, here's paragraph seven. Why did Jehovah tell Ezekiel to divide his shaved-off hair into three portions and to treat each portion differently? Okay, so the Bible doesn't say a word about that, doesn't say a word about why Jehovah told Ezekiel to do that. But here, Jehovah's Witnesses, or the governing body, or specifically, the faithful and discreet slave, they're going to tell us, because they know. We don't know, but they do. Ezekiel burned one portion of hair inside the city to demonstrate to onlookers that some inhabitants of Jerusalem would die in the city. Ezekiel struck a portion of hair with the sword all around the city to indicate that other inhabitants would be killed outside the city. He scattered the last portion of hair to the wind to illustrate that still other inhabitants would be scattered among the nations, but a sword would chase after them, thus Wherever those survivors might end up living, they would find no peace. So that was complete supposition. They were just completely inserting everything they just said into the Bible. There is no reason to suspect that that's the case or that the Bible meant that in any way, shape, or form. They're just putting it in there for us and and telling us this is the fact. And if you don't believe it, then we're going to take your family away from you. That's the bottom line. It's, it's always everything that they say is backed up with that. If you don't believe us, if you don't accept what we say about the Bible, we're going to take your family away. Okay, so here's paragraph eight. However, Ezekiel's prophetic enactment also contained a hint of hope. Regarding the hair that Ezekiel had shaved off, Jehovah told the prophet, take a few strands and wrap them up in, uh, in the folds of your garment. That command indicated that a few of the Jews who would be scattered among the nations would be preserved. Some of those few strands, quote-unquote, would be among the exiles who were, uh, who were to return to Jerusalem after the 70-year-long captivity in Babylon. Did that prophetic statement come true? Yes, a number of years after the end of the Babylonian cap- uh, captivity, The prophet Haggai reported that some of the scattered Jews had indeed returned to Jerusalem. They were the old men who had seen the former house, that is, Solomon's temple. Jehovah saw saw to it that pure worship was preserved, just as he had promised. More details about that restoration will be considered in chapter 9 of this publication. Okay, so I'm starting to catch on here. What, What they're talking about, what's happening here? Uh, For example, right here it says, um, some of those few strands would be among the exiles who were were to return to Jerusalem after the 70-year-long captivity in Babylon. That seems like a simple, basic, nonchalant thing. Like, they they mention it 
with zero context behind it. But this 70-year-long captivity thing, this is fundamental to their doctrine. This is fundamental to their religion. I ju I'm just now starting to catch on to what they're talking about and what's happening in here. So they use this Bible math to reach the date 1914, and it's pretty much... Um, I, I don't want to get into it too much. It's basically they start with some verses from Daniel that talk about Jerusalem falling, and then there are going to be 70 years, and uh, and then Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt after those 70 years are over. Middle, 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 you've got 1914. It says, some of those few strands would be among the exiles who were to return to Jerusalem after the 70-year-long captivity in Babylon. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about that Bible math that they used to get to 1914, uh, between when Jerusalem is destroyed and when it's rebuilt. So that's why I wasn't really, I was unclear, because I, I didn't have that context. The, t the context that only a Jehovah's Witness would really have for this kind of thing. And that's why this book isn't real. I mean, it doesn't matter if a member of the public even has the book, because they wouldn't understand what it's saying if they did. But yeah, I'm glad that I caught on to that. Now it's starting to come together, starting to make a little bit more sense. So anyway, okay, so let me just uh, continue, try to figure out where I was. Yeah, okay, so that was the end of paragraph eight, I believe. So here's the next subheading. It says, what does this prophecy tell us about coming events? So this is paragraph nine. The events that Ezekiel acted out bring to mind the significant events that God's word foretells for our future. What are some of them? As happened with the ancient city of Jerusalem, Jehovah will use secular forces to do the unthinkable, to attack all false religious organizations on earth. Okay, so this is them prophesying again, but this time they're prophesying that Jehovah is going to use... Uh, the armies of the world, basically. Secular forces, it says. Jehovah's going to use secular forces to do the unthinkable, to attack all false religious organizations on earth. Just as Jerusalem's destruction was a unique calamity, quote-unquote, so the, quote-unquote, great tribulation with its war of Armageddon will be an event that has not occurred before. Now it's getting fascinating. Now it's getting legitimately interesting, this book is. Now they're making predictions. Now they're prophesying. Um, and, and these prophecies are headed in a super interesting direction. I cannot wait for them to stick their foot in their mouth. Because at this point, based on what they're saying, it's inevitable. I mean, as if they haven't already. <laughs> okay. So um, before I continue on to the next paragraph 10, um, there is a... Uh, a picture on the page before paragraph 10. I kind of went over it, but, I mean, I skipped past it. But I'll just take a quick look at it. Uh, for those of you who are watching the YouTube video, you can see this picture. If you're not, if you're on the podcast, that's fine. I'll just describe it. Uh, it's a picture of, I guess, Ezekiel holding a razor. Remember, they mentioned a razor earlier. And he's shaving his face. And Jehovah's Witnesses are talking about how this, you know, the hair represented one thing and the razor represented another thing. Just these ridiculous claims. Um, 
And actually, this razor is freaking huge. This doesn't even look like a razor. This thing has to be at least 12 inches long. It looks like a a short sword, honestly. I don't... Anyway. So it says, shave your head and your beard. See paragraphs 5 through 8. Ezekiel acted out events that would soon unfold in Jerusalem. And then it says, shave, quote unquote. The Jews would be attacked and wiped out. So that's what they're saying shave means. When the word shave is used in uh, chapter 5 of Ezekiel, it's talking about the Jews being attacked and wiped out, is what they're saying. Okay. Uh, The next part of the picture says, weigh and divide. The judgment would be deliberate and thorough. And it's a guy putting hair on a scale. And then another picture of a guy dropping hair in a fire. It says, burn. Some would die in the city. And then a picture of a guy slamming a knife down on the hair, oddly enough. It says, strike. Some would be killed outside the city. How bizarre. How did they even come to the conclusion that the hair represented people? Couldn't it have represented something different? I don't know. It's just weird. Okay. And then it's a picture of this guy wrapping hair in his garments, I guess. It says, wrap. Some exiles would return to Jerusalem, and pure worship would be preserved. And then finally, it says scatter. Some would escape, but they would find no peace, and it's hair being thrown into the wind or whatever. That's, that, that's the picture on page, um, on page 65. Okay, let's move on to uh, paragraph 10. It says, God's word indicates that individual supporters of false religion will survive the coming destruction of religious institutions. Okay, so remember, in paragraph 9, they basically said that Jehovah is going to use the world's armies to attack false religion. I mean, that's what they said. I'm, I'm quoting here just to be super sure, because this is important to get right. Jehovah will use secular forces to do the unthinkable, to attack all false religious organizations on earth. Okay. So it says, God's word indicates that individual supporters of false religion will survive the coming destruction of religious institutions. Fearful, these survivors will join other individuals of all ranks who will be searching for a hiding place. Their insti- uh, I'm sorry, their situation makes us think of what happened to the inhabitants of ancient Jerusalem who survived its destruction and were scattered to the wind, quote-unquote. As we considered in paragraph 7, although their lives were spared for a time, Jehovah drew a sword to chase after them. Similarly, any hiding places into which the survivors of the attack on religion may run will not shield them from Jehovah's sword. At Armageddon, they will be put to death together with all other goat-like ones. Very, very fascinating. Um, very strange. I mean, the Bible is starts out talking about hair. Now, granted, I have not read Ezekiel 5. I've not read the entire chapter, at least not recently. So it's possible that they're giving us some kind of a hint toward that, but... Uh, you know, toward, uh, it's possible they're giving some kind of a hint that the hair represented people in some way. But Jehovah's Witnesses are saying that it, re- it represents the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they're saying that what happened to Jerusalem is going to happen to us in the modern day. 
So they're making a couple of really big leaps here. And it's going back to that whole type anti-type thing. Again, which I talked about uh, when I first started this series on this book. The the types and anti-types, from my understanding, is uh, a reflection. So one is a reflection of the other. So we've got Jerusalem here and people being attacked. And that is a reflection of what's going to happen today. So one's the type, one's the anti-type. I don't remember which is which now. But that's what they're talking about here is types and anti-types. This is really, really crazy stuff. Okay, let's hit number 11. How does our understanding of this prophecy affect our view of the ministry and its urgency? It impresses on us. Now, bear in mind here, what they're saying is Armageddon is going to happen basically any five minutes now. That's what they're getting at here. They're saying it's, you know, right around the corner and we see signs of it happening today and, you know, you you have to throw yourself into this religion. They're about to give us instructions what we have to do to stay safe, pretty much. Okay, how does our understanding of this prophecy affect our view of the ministry and its urgency? It impresses on us that we need to do our utmost today to help people to become servants of Jehovah. Why? The time left to make disciples of people of all the nations is limited. When the attack of the rod, the secular forces, against religion begins, we, uh, we will no longer preach a message of salvation. As far as sharing good news is concerned, we will become mute, just as Ezekiel became mute, or stopped proclaiming his messages during part of his ministry. True, after the destruction of false religion, people will, in a sense, desperately seek a vision from a prophet, but no life-saving instructions will be given to them. The time to receive such instruction and to become a disciple of Christ will have passed. Oh, this is fascinating stuff. So what they're saying is, they're saying that um, as soon as Armageddon starts, they're not going to share good news anymore. They're saying they're going to become mute. And they're not going to let anybody else into the religion. They're going to lock it down. They're just going to clam up. And everybody that's in it is in it. Everybody that's out is out, period. Because, uh, and people will apparently be looking for a prophet. Because I I guess what's going to happen is, presumably they think disfellowshipped people or, or whatever are going to try to come back in. But they're not, because they're seeing the signs and all that junk. But they're not going to be allowed to because it's too late. The time has passed. Oh, man, this is fascinating stuff. As far as sharing good news is concerned, we will become mute just as Ezekiel became mute or stop proclaiming his message during part of his ministry. That's very fascinating. Okay, here's paragraph 12. However, our work as preachers will not cease. Why not? During the Great Tribulation, we may, well be, we may well begin proclaiming a message of judgment that will be like a plague of hail. That message will clearly signal that the end of the wicked world is upon mankind. If you guys remember, there was a part in the bunker video. I'm sure you all remember the bunker video. Oh my god. I need to redo the bunker video. I haven't done that in a long time. It's been like years at this point since I did that, I think. Uh, it was one of my first Jehovah's Witness videos. But anyway, in the bunker video, they talked about how their message changed from salvation to judgment. And that's when everybody started hating them. That's it, They said something like that in that video. And here, I, that was kind of the last I'd heard of it. 
Here they say in this paragraph, uh, let's see, just trying to find it again. It says, however, our work as preachers will not cease. Why not? During the Great Tribulation, we may well begin proclaiming a message of judgment that will be like a plague of hail. That message will clearly signal that the end of the wicked world is upon mankind. So I guess when they, when they stop talking about salvation and when they start talking about judgment, that's when they believe that they're in the middle of Armageddon. I'm going to be so fascinated if they actually start talking about judgment and stop letting people into the religion. Um, that, you know, honestly, at that point, that is the point at which I would expect them to do something like commit suicide if they were going to. I don't know if they're going to. Um, I would guess probably not. But the va- a, a pretty decent-sized percentage of Jehovah's Witnesses, when asked, said that they would take a pill, an unknown pill, if the Watchtower Society distributed it and told them to. They have absolute unquestioning trust for this organization. And, you know, this organization is talking about not letting people into it, you know, into the fold anymore. They're not going to invite anybody in. They're just locking down. They're going to go into hiding. They're going to create their own little government pretty much. And in all of this other stuff, it's getting really, really crazy. The things that they're saying are insane. I'm just wondering when we're going to see these things play out. If we're going to see them play out, I don't know. Maybe they'll just never, you know, maybe they'll just never enact these things. Who knows? Anyway, next paragraph is 13. Subheading is called, look, it is coming. All right, I'll tell you what, we'll stop there. Um, it's getting really, really interesting, though, man. I I don't know. I may end up doing this again in, like, a, tomorrow or the day after or something because it's really getting crazy. But, uh, yeah, all right. I appreciate you guys coming and giving this a listen. I'll talk to you next time.